Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast where every week we read all the chapters on Viz.com Shonen Jump and rank them, as well as something else. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm your host, Kevin. And this week we also read JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, because up until now, neither I or Kevin was in that crazy scene. Yep. I missed out on the memitude. I feel like JoJo's is a very niche community, even like in the anime fan base. Yes. But it's not like a small niche. And the people who are into it are very into it. And I kind of get why. But we'll talk about that later because we have plenty of Shonen Jump to get through first. So let's go ahead and jump in, starting with Samurai 8 Chapter 9 together. What did you think of Samurai 8, Kevin? I really liked the ending of this chapter. I thought it was a pretty good chapter overall. But just when Anne is kind of like talking with Hachimaru at the end and being like, so, you did that, you cut down that cake tank, so you must be pretty good, right? And Hachimaru decides to lie and say, oh no, I, I'm a total prodigy, like, I didn't used to be a sickly weakling, and, and just being like, oh, oh, thank God, because I'm a total dunce and can't get anything right, so you'll be able to carry me through this. And then just Hachimaru's face when he's like, oh God, what have I done? I kind of took it, like, yes, I like that part too, but I also took it as he lied not to act cool, but because his master had told him, you need to protect your princess, she needs to rely on you. And he wanted her to have. I'm not saying that he wanted to, he was lying just to act cool, but he definitely was doing it to make himself seem better at what he does. And just the look on his face when she's like, oh, thank God, I'm such a screw up, but don't worry. Now that you're able to do everything, we'll, we'll be fine. Yeah. And I really like this chapter. I've been kind of hot and cold on Samurai 8, which is ironic since that's what I've accused Anne of being too. But when it's about the character interaction stuff, I think that actually works really well. Yep. And like Anne is already better than any of the female characters in Naruto, which is, you know, super low bar to jump. But yep. it's still nice to see. I When you said you really like the ending, I thought you were going to talk about the bit with the guy who's like, oh, just destroy this moon. Which is actually kind of the one bit I didn't like about Samurai 8. Because even though even last week I was talking about how I really like how it was bookended with the space stuff, and I think the space stuff is important to like reinforce that this is kind of a sci-fi series, yeah. Even though it's really low tech, I'm getting kind of exhausted with this coming threat that's not here yet. It's a bit like Thanos in the Marvel movies, where at the end of Avengers in 2009, he's like, "Well, I got to do this," and then it's nine more years before he, he actually does shows up. Yeah, yeah. I I had kind of a very similar feeling, which is why, so, like, to me, the end of the chapter was that interaction between Anne and ha- gotcha. Hachimaru, and then there was just the, and the threats coming, it was like the after credit scene, where it's like, yeah, okay, he's he's on his way, it's fine, you don't need to reference it every single chapter. I Again, I get it, because he needs to reinforce the sci-fi stuff, because there's not really any sci-fi going on in most chapters. And that is going to be an important part of the plot, I'm sure. And it's an important and cool part of the setting. Yeah. It's just that it's getting a little exhausting. I mean, maybe he'll show up next chapter. So it feels a little exhausting because like, oh, he's still not here yet. But it's if he literally sh- like shows up on planet in the first panel or whatever, it won't at least feel totally worthless. Yeah. So that brings us to One Piece Chapter 948, introducing Kawamatsu the Kappa. What did you think about this since we get the reveal on who's in that little prison? I know that was not your thing, but you are excited about that since it's been introduced. I was excited about it. I do still really like it. I like that 
he's this weird turtle dude and Luffy is assembling another ragtag team of weirdos to save the day, essentially. That is kind of what he does. Yes. So I really like that. All right, let's get all the samurai together. So he's like, right, I got the I got Raijin, the ninja dude. I have transgender man. I have this Kappa turtle. And I've got this old mob boss, Yoda. I've got, I've got my own Yoda. I've got an entire prison full of people for me to perfect that hockey technique on. Yeah, this is all going great. Uh, there's also a guy with virus bullets in this chapter, but he doesn't really do much except be a threat. Yep. I also, one of the things I really loved was, so they're all assembling and they're like, oh my god, they're so powerful that the chopper turns into like his muscle point. And as people are like calling out all the names and then it cuts away and you see a little speech bubble of chopper being like, hey, what about me? Because literally everyone ignored him. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good One Piece. It is another transitioning chapter. It's just about Luffy still, uh, which is kind of what I was expecting. But it does seem weird that there are still guards there. I mean, I know it makes more sense that they wouldn't all leave. But definitely the impression at the end of last chapter is like, we're all leaving. Close the door, last one out. Well, the way I took it was because Queen initially came with a retinue, so I thought it was his entire retinue was leaving, and the original prison guards were the guys that were left. That would make sense. Because they were like, Chief Warden, so it's like, alright, now that Queen is gone, I'm back in control, and we have all of the regular prison guards, not the retinue that Queen brought with him. Okay, that, that does make a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. yeah. Again, pretty good for One Piece, some good Luffy stuff, but it does feel like we're just building up on these characters for Wano, which again is what One Piece does, and it's good at it. Yeah, but I really liked the come-together panel of all the samurai getting together, and I can't, is it Hayagoro telling them to remove their masks, or is it... Yeah, I believe it is Hayagoro. Yeah, telling them, like, hey, listen, you can't hide anymore, because all of the prisoners turn on Luffy, because they're like, oh, you're just some punk pirate who's gonna leave after a while. But yeah, you're we a have foreigner, to... you don't even know. What's going on here? Well, not not only that, like, we have to live here. Like, we'll we'll have to live through this. We stood up and fought nine years... Or... 20 years ago, I think it is. I think they said 19, because I think they didn't immediately fight. But it was like, we stood up, yeah, we stood up and fought 20 years ago and lost. So we're not going to do that again. And so Haigo was like, hey, you all need to, like, reveal that you're the samurai. And that that will be part of the driving force that gets all the prisoners to be like, oh, wait, they're they're still alive. Like, maybe maybe we can do this. So that brings us to Demon Slayer Chapter 165, Stunned and Trembling, which I liked okay, but I really felt like I was lacking context. So as the person who's caught up on Demon Slayer, what did you think about it, Kevin? I liked it a bit more. Like, I don't know who this Muichiro Tokido guy is, who's our not main character for this chapter, but we're I, focusing on now. Yeah, he's the Mist Pillar. I had to look that up. Because, like, I knew about him, but... A lot of the guys look very similar. Yes, which we this. talked about last week. And I've... and that's actually, now that they say that, when I say a lot of the guys, there's like four of them that look kind of similar. A lot of the pillars have very distinct things, like the the guy with the wavy blade from the last chapter that's the poison pillar has like the bandage head wrap, so he's easily distinguishable. And normally, Inosuke is wearing the boar head, so he's easily distinguishable. It's just like, wait, this guy looks exactly the same as Inosuke. And I had just forgotten about him because it had been a while since I had dealt with him. But it's not every single character. It's no, just, he definitely has a limited face palette, and I'm not the first sort of person that normally even notices that. 
Like people joke about how all the characters in Sailor Moon look the same, but I don't really see that. I just have to take their word for it. And like last night I watched Austin Powers and I believe people who tell me Mike Myers plays Dr. Evil. They have no reason to lie to me, but they don't look the same at all to me. Yeah. So I'm just really bad at faces. But even here, they just all blend together. Yeah. Um, And the even the guy that Tokyo is fighting, the Upper Moon one, looks a lot like the guy whose name I can't remember who finds Tanjiro in the first chapter to me. Oh, Gin? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, well, they're supposed to be somewhat related. Okay, I mean, that makes sense, but... Well, like, that's what he was saying. So in this chapter, he reveals that the Miss Pillar guy is a de- must be a descendant. descendant of his. Yeah, but the Upper Moon one guy looks like Jin to me. Yeah, well, Jin, the Mist Pillar guy, and Inosuke are the ones that look very similar. Gotcha, okay. And I'm guessing even, like, underneath the bandages, the Poison Pillar guy looks very similar, too. Like, he like, he looks like he has that same head style. It's just because he's wrapped up in the bandages that he looks different and enough. Inosuke usually has the bar mask on. Yeah, so, like, you can generally tell everyone apart. Gin always has that, like, bright, like, multicolored cloak. I have it a lot worse with the girls, because I feel like he has Nezuko and every other female character. He has the one chick, the beauty one, who's got a different hair color, and she actually does look different, the one with, like, the wavy sword. Yeah, you're right, you're right, she does. But he has three. He (laughs) has Nezuko, her, and every other female character. I will totally agree with you on that one. So... Which is ironic, since so much of the art looks so good in this series. Like, the way he draws attacks, that's the reason we got into it. Yes, but he focused on that and isn't good at faces. Some people aren't good at drawing hands. He figured out how to draw three faces and just works with that. Uh, Now I'm just thinking about how Rob Liefeld always never drew feet. Like, he'd always have the panels cut off at the bottom. And I imagine this guy just drawing it so he never has to draw anybody's head. I like He's not that bad. He's not that bad, but... Like I said, Anosuke is wearing the boar head, the snake pillar, or the poison pillar guy is wearing the bandages on his head. Like, there's probably a lot of people that they look very similar, and it's just like, oh, I'll just change, like, I'll, I'll put them in a weird hat, and they'll be different. But then he has to do the superhero movie thing where their hat gets blown off, and we see their face. Yes. Which is unfortunate, and that's causing a lot of the dissonance, but I thought it was pretty cool, so I like the fact that the first rank demon was a demon slayer at some point yeah that's cool and again to talk about attacks there's a panel where he chops off tokido's hand yeah that's amazingly drawn yes even some of the mist stuff looked really cool like i really liked i mean even though it was just like it's mist filling the room but i thought it looked really interesting watching this guy like kind of shroud the room in mist as he was doing stuff yeah and uh, i liked a lot of the ideas presented in this chapter i'm not meaning to dunk on it too much no, it's just the the face thing really kind of drags it down because it's like, wait, who's this guy again? And again, not knowing who Tokido is, even like when he says his name, at least they have the decency for him to say this is who I am. But I'm like, OK, I don't know who that guy is. So. Yeah. Like, where's Nezuko <laughs> in a cocoon, I think. Yep. And I well, I did have to look up this guy. It was like I remembered him. Part of the problem is reading 18 manga chapters every week. Yeah. And this guy hasn't been here in... Since we started reading. Yeah. So over a year, (laughs) we haven't seen this guy. So it's like, eh, he... And he doesn't have that distinct a look. Like, that. that's unfortunately his downfall is he's very... uh, He looks like a normal demon slayer. Like, he's got long black hair. He wears the the uniform, and that's really it. 
Yeah, a downside to making everybody's weapon a sword is you can't distinguish people by weapon, even though there is a little bit of There's flexibility a li- in this series. Yeah, so we have, but I mean, we really, everyone except those two, really. No, some of the other pillars have different weapons. There's this one guy that's got like a, a, a like an iron ball, like ball and chain. Okay. But he's got this super distinct look because he's a monk, so he's got the beads and the robe. And that's how he usually distinguishes people is by the different outfits. And it's unfortunately, this guy is the dude who dresses exactly like every other Demon Slayer, but is super powerful. Versus like, Gin has the cloak, Poison Snake Guy has the bandages, we have the monk guy. So like a lot of the pillars that are, the flame pillar had like flaming hair and a, another bright orange cloak. So. so that brings us to My Hero Academia number 234, Sense Destruction in my opinion, benefited from the there was no My Hero Academia last week and I missed it bump. Yeah. Because I like this chapter a lot more. My Hero is another series I've been kind of hot and cold on for this arc, at least. Yeah, um, I'm I'm still liking the arc, but I want to get back to Deku. Yeah, I really like the idea of the arc, but like the practice of the arc is a little... I don't want to say all over the place, but I like getting Toga's backstory. I really like the stuff with Twice, and the stuff they're doing with Tomura right now, I think really I will good, like yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. But even this chapter, like, felt like it was kind of teasing us with that. We got a little bit of Tomura backstory stuff that I like, but it feels like we're, like, deliberately delaying the real punch. Yeah. uh, In a way that I found a little dissatisfying. Also, the monarch is just going full Tagoro from Yu Yu Hakusho and going more and more. Getting more and more monstrous. Yeah, he's at 80% power now. Yeah. I can't wait till he gets to 120% power. Yep. I did really like, so he has that black mark now basically completely covering his body, and there is a grin out of the black mark that's around his normal mouth, but he can still, like, smile and make expressions through it, but, like, if you take a step back, it will just look like it's the teeth grinning, because it's his white skin over the black kind of, like, goo or symbiote kind of looking thing over him, and I thought that was a really interesting contrast, especially because there's a panel where he's frowning. In it, I think it's right when Gigantamachio starts to show up, and so he's frowning, but the monster thing is still smiling, and I just thought that looked pretty cool. Yeah, we also get some Tomura flashbacks, and I did like those, but like I said, I feel like we're deliberately delaying the punch there. Yes. And we're just setting up, and I don't know in a week how I'm going to feel about it when I haven't just read this. Yeah. And again, it's the sort of thing that in a volume or when it's adapted to anime, I think will work amazingly. Yeah. But... I also do really like the one panel of Tomura flying at the monarch and like his face is being like stretched back by how fast he's going. Like he's not used to flying that fast. So he has this, he looks like a skeleton the way his skin's coming in. And even the monarch is mentioning like, oh, he's a lot faster than I thought he'd be. Yeah. And the cliffhanger where Gigantimachi is showing up. And them radioing the monarch and be like, ah, they had a card they weren't playing, it turns out. Yep. Um, fuck. is pretty good. Yeah. So I did like My Hero quite a bit, even though, again, some of the same problems we've had with this arc. I was going to say it almost feels like it's week to week, but I really think it is just this arc. Because the previous arc of My Hero we were reading, I really enjoyed even just getting it one chapter at a time. So Yeah. And I've been doing My Hero one chapter at a time for a while. And it's, it is the, there's still a bit of that dissonance getting it week to week as opposed to like getting it. But I mean, I was even watching the anime week to week. So I still. Uh, an anime episode has more in it though. It does. And like the My Hero anime burns through 
the source material yeah. at a really good clip to provide that. So I think like an episode of the My Hero anime is more of a contained unit, even though it usually still ends on a cliffhanger. It is, but it's just this is kind of a very weird side arc that I'm still enjoying and will probably like in the middle of the next arc when we're having the heroes fight the villains and it gets to be more interesting when it's like, oh, I know more about their backstory. But like right now, I'm we're just in the backstory building, essentially. Yeah, it's kind of like especially the One Piece anime more than the manga, but the manga is guilty of this, too. When it's like time for a flashback in this arc for, you know, three or four weeks. Yep. And it's like, well, yes, I do really like Trafficker Law, and I'm going to like him even more when his back- tragic backstory is over, but I did kind of want to see him and Luffy fight Don Quixote, thank you. Yep. I had actually kind of similar thoughts about another chapter this week. I thought you were going to transfer into that. But we're not going to talk about that yet, because I do things in the order they're presented to me instead of a thematic order that works well for transitions. So next we have We Never Learn Question 118, Sometimes a Predecessor Drifts Among Mineral Deposits and X. So what did you think of We Never Learned this week, Kevin? I liked We Never Learned this week. It it was its traditional cheeky shenanigans. This time we have Konami-senpai just constantly teasing Yu-Gi-Oh for the most of it. But I did really like kind of the, the message and, yeah, just the message that this was trying to get across. Where Yu-Gi-Oh is like, oh, Konami-senpai, you're so good. And I've been, like, struggling with what happens if we don't make it. Like, we've been making good progress, but what? Even I'm struggling what happens if we don't do it. And I'm just, I'm under so much pressure. And then Konami being like, hold my hand and noticing it's shaking. She's like, this is my second time going through this. Like, I already failed once and I don't have another chance. So this is even worse for me than it is for you. You kind of need to just suck it up. Yeah. I actually found We Never Learned to be kind of disappointing this week after we went through a big arc. I don't know. It just seemed... I don't want to say less of itself, but it seemed a little bit more predictable. The shenanigans seemed to be there for shenanigans' sake in even a more normal way than usual. With like, oh, we'll just go to this bath together, I guess. Yep. Um, And I guess we'll play some ping pong now. Um, The message was good at the end, and I didn't hate it or anything. I just have expectations that we never learned that weren't really met this week. Gotcha. Which brings us to Act Age Scene 72 effort, which I liked quite a bit more, even though it has, again, a transition-y feel, but I think that's just because Yonagi isn't in it as much. Yeah. But at least I think we've been reading it enough that these are characters we can care about, and that works all right. Yep. And there is, like, kind of a very shonen moment in the middle of it. Yes. With Ogami, the actor who's flown in from America, who's just like, well, Yonagi didn't show up, and because we see she's been stalled by the rain, he's like, so I'm going to the airport. Yep. And one of the people in the play tries to stall him by, like, saying, hey, like, I'm trying so hard at this. Like, please stay for me. He's like, I never tried at this at all. Like, even a little bit. And it felt really weird that, like, people were just casting me as a star and everything. And then I learned they liked me for myself. So I decided I was going to try my hardest to be myself. And myself is wants to go back to America. So peace, bro. Yep. <laughs> Which is one of the most, like, twisted but also very shonen things. Yeah, but I, I still really liked it. I really liked him. Being like, even though he said, you know, I never had to try, is like, everyone likes me, so I can't change myself in order to help you out, because then I will lose me. So, in order for me to maintain myself, I need to do what I want to do, and right now I want I want to go home. Like, I was really interested in this girl, but she failed me, so time to go. Yeah. Oh, so then Momoshira, the other girl, for people who aren't 
paying attention to acting, shows up. And is like, you can play with me instead. And he gets her name wrong. And then her co-actor, whose name I can't remember because he's the super boring character from where we started that I didn't like. Yep. Even though I am starting to like the character a bit more. Also shows up and the sort of chapter ends with them trying to confront him and stop him from leaving. Yeah. Whereas meanwhile, at the start of the chapter, you know, he's like, yeah, you, Cinderella taught me it's not over till midnight. So, yeah, we just have to get there. Yeah. We also have the great thing of the, the actor, the actor guy telling the like head of the talent agency the producer that he's scum and he like rocks in front of a paparazzi camera it's like this guy's awful do not work with him and he's like and my career is ruined it's just like that <laughs> yeah but he's like also i don't want to say cheerful about it but it's like a very anime like clearly he does not actually think that yeah but it's just like wow influential people are scary yeah which makes sense if there was some big name actor that came out and said like hey this talent agency is garbage that talent agency is going to have a very hard time getting work. Yes. Which leads us to another of our favorites, the last Saiki, Chapter 18, The Black Tori Gate of Oban, which again has a transition-y feel to it, I think, because we're starting a new story arc. Yep. Where they're just going around to shrines and closing these, like, tiny little Tori gates that, again, because last Saiki is great at having really, really cool ideas. Yep. Are like portals to alternate dimensions that are like an amalgamation of people's thoughts about the afterlife. Because it's at a time where people are thinking about the afterlife a lot more. Yeah. And they're like, people don't think the afterlife is impossible. So those thoughts don't go into their box, their moo box. But if enough people are thinking about them, they will kind of like congeal or in the area and might form. So that's why these Tory, these. And they like they start off as mini Tory gates, but eventually they get to be full size ones, and then people can wander through. Yeah, and the real danger is that like sometimes you can see your loved ones like trying to lure you in. Yep, and so that leads to a nice conversation between Ryunosuke and Estelle, where they're both like, "Yeah, I would see my dead mom," and Ryunosuke is like, "I wouldn't even go if I saw her though, because like I'm kind of over the death of my mother, thanks to yep my friend and." Estelle's like, you don't have to be cool. Like, I'm older than you, and I'm not totally over my mom. He's like, no, I just am cool. Like that. Yep. But she was like, she was kind of impressed with him. Like, wow, I wouldn't have been able to smile. Like, I'm still not able to smile about it. And he just did. And then Kohaku is like, I don't even know my mom. And they both kind of have that downer moment. And then this giant Tory gate pops out of the ground. Because Kohaku summons that, obviously, of like, I want to know my mom. Bam. Well, here she is. Yeah, but it's calling and Ryunosuke starts like running after her. Yeah, because he's, he's like, like it's my mom. Yeah. And Baruch has to show up and slam the gate shut. Yep. And then we cut to Ryunosuke's dad talking to someone. And he's like, yeah, I need to see my son. Like, I think he's realized that my wife has something to do with all the shenanigans. Yep. And whoever he's talking to is like, wow, you're having a son has made you soft. That's weird. Yep. And he's like, oh, you're. Well, you should go meet him. It's about time. And he's like, oh, giving me directions. And then we turn around and it's an apple on a skeleton body with a crown with eyeballs. You know, just a dude. Very, very hard to describe the dude. He seems to be like at least very top tier yeah. in the The true human the form hunters. is really just an apple with a crown. Yeah. You know, that's what we're all striving to be, really, right? Yeah. I mean, it might be a mask or it definitely looks like he's a skeleton. Underneath the clothes. Like well, that's like... a very Buddhist idea. Too. Yes. As always, pretty good stuff there. 
Yeah, that was really good. The beginning felt a little weird to me because, like, instead of talking about the Tory gates and then them closing them, it was them closing the Tory gates and then talking about them. Yeah. That was just a little weird. I, I, I was like, did I miss a panel or something? Last Sayuki's always kind of had that energy to it, where yeah. it's always moving forward very quickly, though. So, like, I had a similar real quick feeling, but I do appreciate that about the series. Yeah, it just, it was really weird, and it made me, what it made me think was that I had missed a page, like, not that I had missed a chapter, like, with uh, Jujutsu Kaisen last week, where I was like, wait, what's going on? Yeah. It was like, oh, I must have just, I must have accidentally loaded page two instead of page one. No, it came off to me like we were going to flash back to the explanation Yeah, I, I got it eventually, it's just that, that initial reaction was i i missed a page or something like that so it continues to be really really good i've heard it's not doing well in the rankings in japan which makes me very nervous every time i load up a chapter of last sayuki gotcha but i hope it goes on for another hundred chapters yeah what i'm starting to realize is that the general japanese populace doesn't have the same taste as we do surprising no one i also think this is a little bit i don't want to say a more cerebral manga because that sounds makes it sound more highball than it is but i can a lot of the ideas are really really cool to me and i think they're very cool to writers like there Mm -hmm. are a bunch of writing tropes in here and i don't know if those actually resonate with young kids yep or even teenagers so even though like the idea there's a similar idea in yui kamiya this week actually that like really resonated with me Mm -hmm. but I don't know how well that resonates with people who are just like flipping it open and it's near the back of the book. So how many people are even reading it? Yeah, that brings us that depressing news to the promise. Neverland chapter 141. The promise made a thousand years ago. Part one, which I didn't dislike or anything. Yeah, you can probably guess from my earlier comment. This is the one I was talking about where Emma is the start a flashback to something we've seen or is this new information where they're like, there were actually two promises made. It's. New information of a scene that we've seen before. That's what I figured. I just wanted to clarify. Since so I like, haven't read all of Promise Never. Yeah, we haven't seen them knowing that there were two promises, but we had we essentially have seen bits and pieces of that conversation when they're making the plan. So they just keep they're doing the heist movie thing where like they yeah. reveal the planning stage as stuff is progressing in the story. That's what I assumed it was. I just wanted to double check. Yeah. So I was like, I want to make a new promise with you. He's like, okay, cool. He's like, wow, that was easy. He's like, but I want a reward in exchange. And we also see as part of that, they tell her, yeah, when we made the promise a long time ago, we kind of refused and that was a bad thing. So whatever he asks for, give it to him. Actually, I think it is. It's just two of the like demon nobles talking to give us that information. Like the kids don't necessarily have it. It's like giving us, the readers, the information, do whatever he wants. It's that. Hunter Hunter, Killua's sister thing of like, yeah, just give her whatever she wants. But what I just give her whatever she wants. You know what's weird about Killua's sister to me? Not to get on too much of a tangent. Mm. Biologically male, I assume, since everybody but Killua refers to her as a guy. Yep. But Killua doesn't correct anyone like when they do that. Like even people who like don't know him slash her. Yep. Like, I'm thinking of the smoke guy. Killua doesn't go, well, actually, she prefers female pronouns. That's just weird to me. I don't know why. Maybe. It seems like Killua is in a position to tell people that, and they would be like, oh, I'm sorry. Maybe she doesn't care? That's, like, that could be. I do know she people only like cares, that. Yeah, she only cares about his opinion, so, like, he'll never say it wrong. And maybe maybe he would tell, like, gone or something like that. But he's like, you're some random scrub. We don't. We don't care what you're going to call it. Yeah, but I guess he's not like a random scrub, I feel like. So, I yeah. don't know. It just always came off as weird to me that 
Killer was like very insistent. Uh, nah, she's a girl, but does not care that anybody else. I don't know. It just was odd to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense that Killua's sister does not care about pronouns used for her. Yep. Anyway, that was a big tangent. So the rest of this chapter is a flashback to a thousand years ago, and we get some cool knights fighting demons. Yep. And they're basically a bunch of people who take over a castle, and they're having a discussion about the possibility of peace talks. And like, hey, if we gave the demons some people to eat, like if we showed them, hey, we're not going to starve you out. Like you would see yep. a garden. Like we could give them convicts or slaves or something. Yep. And then they're like, no, we shown an ideals. We have to not do that. We have to save all of humanity. Yep. But then we flash forward to that same person who was making that speech, like meeting one of the demon dukes. We've actually we met seen? him in the yeah. story. He's the one that they killed in that town. Yeah. And in that moment, he's like, oh, no, like, what am I even talking about? I just want this to be over. Yeah. He's like, hey, I have a proposition for you. Yep. So. And again, we found out there were two promises, one with this demon that doesn't have the pronounceable name. Yep. And the other with the demon royalty. So I assume that's that promise. Probably. And we might find out more about the promise coming up. So I'm excited by this. I just the part one is the part that really gets me because I don't want to be in this flashback for three weeks. If it's two weeks and we're out, that's fine. Yeah, but it it might it might just be the two parts like that would be fine. But we already have like kind of three, four almost parallel stories going on in Promise Neverland. The yeah. big one is Emma. And then we've got, I would say, the Don and Gilda one. But then we also have Norman Ray. Yep. As two more potential like story threads. Introducing a fifth just seems like we're spreading kind of thin. Maybe. I'm still liking it. I am too. It ranked pretty well for me this week. It just was like, ah, oh, I don't know that this is what I want. But then I got to see a bunch of knights fight some demons. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that from Promise Neverland this yep. week. So it dropped a little bit lower than normal for me just because it was like, all right, and tangent. Okay, this is cool, but like. You know, we were in the middle of Emma doing something, Ray's in the middle of doing something, Donna Gilder in the middle of doing something, Norman's in the middle of doing something. Yeah, now it's time for this flashback. Yeah. So that brings us to our ranking, because there wasn't anything else we really wanted to talk about this week, at least not in detail. Yeah, it's not that they were necessarily bad, it's just we didn't really want to spend a couple of minutes going over the chapter, like nothing jumped up at us. Yeah. So what do you have at the number 18 in Jump Card? Jump card is the segment where we rank all the chapters from best to worst, by the way. Actually, we do worst to the best. What do you have at number 18, Kevin? So number 18, I have Haikyuu. Okay, I actually liked Haikyuu fairly well this week. I, I'm just down on the sports manga right now because it's just like, yeah, it's a sports manga and sports. I get it. Just the art seemed a lot stronger to me this week in Haikyuu. And like I was starting to get some of that shonen stuff. Like we talked a few weeks ago about knowing the emotion Haikyuu was going for and just not feeling it. Yep. This week, I at least thought it made me feel it. I have double Taisei at number 18 mm -hmm. because like it was more interesting than normal. We get more of the Shogi stuff and I get again what it's trying to do, but it doesn't feel like it's earned what it's trying to do. And at the same time, it feels like it should have been doing this in chapter two. Yeah, it, 
it's my number 17 for a lot of the same reasons. And, like, say, being like, oh, I've never beaten Ty, or no, Ty be- saying I've never beaten Say's sitting. sitting king. And it's like, so then how did he lose all the, like, why did nobody comment on it? And I realized that people were, like, he lost because of timeout for most of those matches. But it just, it, it I don't think it can decide whether or not Ty or Say is the better. And, like, that's an interesting like conflict to have and for the audience not to know but like this story's just been so slow at getting here yeah it it also it doesn't feel like it's trying to it's setting up the conflict in an interesting way it's more like i'm just not telling you like it's not like i'm oh maybe this guy's better oh maybe this guy's better it's just like no i'm just i'm literally not going to tell you and we're just going to hear their inner monologues of like well clearly i'm the best yeah yeah i don't know it's just not very interesting or good no I have Black Clover at number 17, and I feel bad for putting it so low two weeks in a row, but the art has just been madness lately, and there's this really cool bit where it's talking about how Yuno is like pulling Asta in with the wind powers, and that's a really cool idea, and I just wished it was shown it all visually instead of them having to tell us that, and there's some kind of cool stuff with Yami, but again, I'm not really sure what's going on with it. I I really liked his attack. Like, I like that idea a lot, and I like the flashback to like set it up. Uh, and, like, Asta running out of power and then, like, getting it back and getting a giant sword. Like, I, similar to Haikyuu we were talking about. Like, I know what the emotions I'm supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. It's just not evoking Not them. feeling it? Yeah. So my number 16 was Tokyo Shinobi. Me too! We have random sexy shenanigans. Yes, no- we do. Kind of out of nowhere. Yes. And I mean, I get what they're going for. These are, like, short stories with each of his teammates. Yeah. It makes a degree of sense to me. And I put it a little higher because I actually really like the villain introduced in this chapter and i really like the way he's drawn like yeah, he, he does... has cold powers and like it's just shown as like people like you see people's breath and stuff it's actually pretty subtle yeah and it was it seems really interesting but this chapter was a lot of just sexy shenanigans sexy for no shenanigans and then kind of nothing like hey and how's it going well here's a bit more explanation of how my memory palace works because that's essentially what he has. He's like, oh yeah, I've got a bunch of rooms where I store all the data. And I just have to remember the pathway to the rooms. It's like, okay, so it's the memory palace. It's a common, not common, but it is a memory technique. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's taking a shinobi squad. Yeah. I don't I, I don't hate it, but it's not interesting. Yep. So my number 15 was Beast Children. Mine too, actually. I, I think I like Beast Children more than you, not to cut you off. Yeah. But, like, there is just a lot of, I don't want to say inconsistency, but it's exactly what I expect. And the art's, like, really good in one panel and then hard to tell what's going on in the next. And a lot of this, like, no, it's all about tackling. That's the purity of rugby is just, like, eye to me. Yeah. And I like some of the stuff, like, you can't knock over a rooted tree. So yeah. make sure it's not rooted. That makes total sense to me, like. It is really hard, especially if you're somebody that's small. It's like you're not going to knock over somebody that's ready to accept the hit. Yeah. So that's the whole reason why you need to be extremely fast if, is if you can throw off people's timing. it's That's the whole way to win. It's something I do in martial arts. The easiest time to knock somebody off balance is when they're in the middle of taking a step. They're only on one foot, so any shift in balance they're not able to fix by shifting their stance. And that's very similar to the way he was tackling this guy. I was like, oh, I'll hit him just as he's catching the ball. So all of his focus is on catching the ball, and he's not planting his feet. But sports. 
What do you have at number 14? Number 14, I have Dr. Stone. Go for it. I'm... I'm kind of, like... It, it wasn't like I didn't like Dr. Stone, but it's just kind of... It's following falling back into this rut of, like, we're going to do science stuff. Yeah, we're so going like, to do a science to create a thing that will solve our problem. Yep. So it's like, we're going to make a drone. Oh, well, we'll make a motor. Why didn't you make this earlier? And why does it seem so simple to you now? Like, at least most of the other technological advancements, it was like, well, we needed to do this before we could do this before we could do this. This just felt like, oh, yeah, we'll make a motor. Why, why didn't you have one earlier? Like, you literally, it wasn't like you found something on the island that you needed to make a motor. Like, it, it would have been extremely easy to make a motor beforehand. And it requires a bunch of backbreaking labor that you could have done in the year you were building the boat. Yeah. I put Dr. Stone a little higher, because I actually really like the way it ended. But yeah, definitely Dr. Stone has a bunch of Dr. Stone problems going on with it. Yeah. I put Jujutsu Kaisen at number 14, because I just feel so lost in this story arc. I get more of what's going on now, and after you explained it. And this is a real exposition-heavy chapter where they're explaining what these people need to do. Yep. But it made last week's chapter seem even more out of nowhere, and I don't want to say pointless, but like it feels like we could have started this story here Probably. and nothing would have changed. Maybe just a little bit of last chapter, like kind of introducing us into the the characters. It definitely, the pacing feels very weird. There was a cool Digimon reference, and I dug yes. that. That's why I went a little bit higher than my number 13 was Yui Kamiyo. I'm just... I'm not that into the horror aspect of it. I put it one higher than you did. Spoiler for the near future. It definitely felt like I don't want to say back on its BS because this is very different than Yui Kamiyo was. But a lot of the old Yui Kamiyo problems kind of weirdly shown through in this chapter, Mm -hmm. even in this new genre, like a lot of stuff that just isn't quite landing. I like a lot of the horror stuff. I even alluded to this when we were talking about last Sayuki. Like, the villain's power is that, like, once people are afraid of her, she gains power over them. Yep. And, like, we've kind of seen that in the last chapter, and it's been set up, and that's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, But also, just, like, a lot of it's not quite gelling or landing. Yeah. Even though I, like, I've always liked the series a bit more than you. So I put it one higher. Number 13, I have Haikyuu. And we've already kind of talked about why. I really liked some of the splash panels in Haikyuu. A lot of the Shonen stuff was actually kind of working for me in a way it usually doesn't. Gotcha. My number 12 was Jujutsu Kaisen. I like that Digimon reference. I don't have much more to say about it. Yeah, mine's Yui Kimiya, which I've just talked about. So my number 11 was Hell's Paradise. I still, like I said, it'll be like a month before I actually get caught up on Hell's Paradise. But I thought it was pretty neat. So... We have them planning out the break-in to the Lord Tenson's castle and them being like, all right, so it's going to be pitch black and the room is constantly changing. So normally, if you weren't able to see, you would try to extensively map out the area so you could just kind of know where to go. But we're not going to be able to do that because the palace is ever shifting. So they're like, oh, well, we can like see through Tau site, essentially, and figure out where everything is. But the problem is we have to constantly keep turning it on and turning it off again because we need to suppress our Tau to hide our presence, which kind of has this cool effect of like we keep like running into areas blind and then being able to see. And when the guys get jumped by one of the Tenzin who is doing the exact same thing, suppressing his Tau so that they couldn't see him, I just really liked it because I was like, wow, they seem to be progressing extremely smoothly through this operation, which means something will go horribly wrong in three, two. And then like he's like, oh, yeah, of course, my big sister would be leading them. 
and that's like oh wait wait what yes sort of moment i put it a bit higher than you at number 11 i have chainsaw man yeah because like there were things i liked about this chapter in particular like aki waking up in the hospital and him mourning yep was really good and i like the ending where they're like that makima are you gonna train us no this guy is he's like i have three questions for you are you are you inside of humans and demons who ever's winning you like revenge yeah not really cool you passed yep well no he had a third he question did. i don't remember what it was i do remember it was it was something along the lines yeah and he's like cool you passed and he gets him into a hug and they're like dude you're kind of creepy and he starts choking them yeah so like yeah like Chainsaw Man's going a weird direction. Like it's definitely, I definitely don't like it as much as I did when it was starting. Starting, but, yeah. Like I am interested in what's going to happen next. Yep, my number ten was Black Clover. Really, the thing I liked about it was the kind of teamwork with you know pulling Asta with the wind. I really liked that idea, and I really liked Captain Yami's attack. I thought it was very well done, where they essentially had him doing the thing where he splits the screen in half with his sword strike. I just thought it was really cool, especially because it was like he's two or three floors below the dude and is like, all right, about there. Ha! And just cuts everything in half. It's a, again, it's a cool idea. I just feel like the visuals don't support it. I feel so lost when I'm reading Black Clover. Mm -hmm. I don't have as much of a problem. Uh, My number 10 was Dr. Stone. I agree with pretty much all your criticisms, but I actually really like the, I don't want to say cliffhanger at the end, but the situation where Kaku's like, okay, can you distract them for like 15 seconds? Yep. And her being like, well, I have, they can communicate with me, but how am I going to like get this message back to them? Yeah, this changes everything. And yeah, that was cool. And we don't know what she found, so. Yes, that was very well done. My number nine is Chainsaw Man for, I liked it. There was some cool stuff in there. Not much else more to say about it. My number nine was We Never Learn. Like I said, it just didn't really meet my expectations this week, but I still put it above half the stuff because. Gotcha. Kind of a slow week this week. Yep. My number eight was Promise Neverland. Um, is mainly just because of the additional side tangent. It's like, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it's adding another layer of complexity to this manga. And when I'm absorbing so much content at the same time, it starts to bog me down just a little bit. My number eight is Hell's Paradise. Like I said, I, I pretty much all the reasons you liked it, I liked it. I just liked it a little bit more in the end. Yep. My number seven was Samurai 8. I don't really have much more else to say about it. Like I said, I really liked that talk between Anne and Hachimaro and him being like don't worry I'm amazing and she, her being like oh thank god because I'm not and yeah. then him having that look of like uh oh. <laughs> My number seven's One Piece. I <laughs> I don't know that I have much more to say about it either. I didn't love this chapter of One Piece. I didn't hate it either. It yeah. Pretty One Piece. My number six was Demon Slayer. Mine too. Like the ideas were really good but yeah. the emotional content wasn't really there so. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen the Mist Pillar, so I'd kind of forgotten, like, all of his motivation for everything. Because it's, like, one thing to even reading week to week being like, well, I mean, it's pretty easy to talk about, like, Inosuke and Tanjiro, because they're, like, basically in every chapter. But it's like, I haven't seen this guy in, like, over a year. It's kind of hard to remember what he's about. So my number five was My Hero. I'm just, it's not that I'm super soured on this arc but it's just like all right cool more villain arc there's some cool stuff in here i liked some of the panels like you said it's the monarch is going full to goro i'm only releasing 80 percent of my power yeah my number five is the promise neverland 
and again, I think we've talked about all the problems with it yep. to death. But I did like the art, and it was really good. It wasn't what I expected. Yeah. My number four was Act Age. Mine as well. It was a really good chapter, and I I really liked the... Like the B-cast stepping up the to B-cast, be into the play. Yep. Or be into the scene, I guess. Yeah. Well, and even the actor guy being like, well, yeah, but- everyone loves me for being me. So in order to, like, in order to be a good actor and in order to maintain the life that I enjoy living, I have to be me. So I can't let other people make decisions for me. So regardless, like, there's no way you can convince me to, you can't beg me to do something for you because it has to be for me. Yeah. It's a really shitty thing to say, but it's also shown in as hell. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it sounds, it does sound super shitty, but. Like, he does kind of have a point. It strikes exactly the right balance. Yeah. So my number three was We Never Learned. I liked the message a lot, and the shenanigans were a little rote. This is very similar to, there's a time when Fumino and Yugiya essentially do the same thing, where they miss a train and are forced to stay at a hotel. Only this one had a hot spring. Yeah. A bathing suit hot spring. But even that, as I recall, like said a little bit about Fumino's character because it was yeah. early on; it was reveal. Whereas I guess this one did too. But yeah, like I said, the situation was kind of similar to some of the stuff, and that's the reason that it. And even though the situation was still kind of rote, I really like the message of Konami kind of being like, "Hey, get over it. I'm feeling even more stressed than you are because this is my second time around. I don't like you can." You can do what I did and give it another shot, but I really don't have the time to fail now. So you need to kind of just get over it. I put my hero at number three. I like the Tomura flashbacks. I mean, yeah, I didn't super love anything. I was expecting it to end up lower, but it just didn't because like there was still good stuff in here. The Giganti Machia showing up is good. A bunch of the Tomura setup is good. Like I said, I'm just afraid that I'm going to have forgotten the details before the payoff shows up. Yeah. My number two was One Piece. I really liked the let's get this country's ragtag band of misfits together to go beat up Lord Orochimaru. I mean, that just, it didn't have the power that it has a lot of times in One Piece with me. I did like the beat, but like, it was like, okay, yeah, but I don't really care about these characters the way that I did say about Rebecca or Vivi mm-hmm. or times One Piece has done this in the past. Yeah, I oh. did really like it, though, so that's why it went a little high, or that's why it went way higher for me. My number two, Samurai 8, I just really like the interplay between Anne and Hachimaru even more than you, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I really like Anne as a character, and she felt way more on this week. She like she felt kind of, like, oddly off to me last week. Yeah. And I like that she's, like, clumsy and kind of a screw-up, and I like Hachimaru, like, lying to her in part to be cool, but also just, like, remembering his dad. Yep. And like him talking about being a parrot and how Hachimaru feels like he has to be that to this princess. Yep. So that makes our mutual number one. Last Sayuki. Which I didn't like as much as normal, but again, the ideas in there are super good. Like all yep. the talk about mutual afterlives and like the forward momentum of the plot continues to be really strong. Yep. The weird, crazy apple man. I don't know if it's an apple. That just, when I look at it, that's what I see. And... Rinosuke's mom kind of like coming back from the dead sort of and then his dad being like oh yeah her and Kay are tied together so it's like oh that's weird yeah let's see where this goes uh-huh 
yeah, kind of a weak week this week. That's a weird sentence to say. I still liked it. It was definitely not one of the better ones, but there was a lot of, I think, interesting messages, at least in my top half. Yeah, and I don't regret it. Like I said, Yui Kamiyo is still super interesting to me for where it goes. Even yep. Double Taisei at the very bottom was a lot better than recent Double Taisei stuff. I just, that series has taken so long to do nothing. Yeah, and that's probably going to be to its detriment. Oh yeah, I don't think that's going to survive very long. It's going to get the uh, Neolation end, I'm pretty sure. Yep, but you were mentioning earlier with last Sayuki rankings in Japan, it kind of just has me wondering what are the Japanese polls on what they like and because they're on they're the ones who they i know we can get that data i just don't know where to go for it i you could probably just search japan's popularity polls and find it somewhere somebody's probably translated because i'm assuming they released that yeah i assume so too but i'm not sure how like detailed it is yeah but even if it's just a list of like hey here's like an average of the popularity rankings or something like that I do kind of want to see how Japan is handling, because there are a couple of very unshonen stuff in Shonen Jump. It's not unshonen, but they're very different than a lot of the older stuff, like Bleach, Naruto, One Piece. Uh, One Piece is still going, but... But keep in mind, that was very much an era of Shonen Jump, and like I feel like our impression is colored of it, because that's when it blew up here in the US. Yeah. Like, I, before Dragon Ball, Shonen Jump had gone for 30 years, and... Yeah, and so that I'm not trying to say that this that's why I wanted to take back that unshonen stuff. It's like this might be a new era of shonen jump where we have more stuff like Dr. Stone where as opposed to really it's not even the power of friendship that's overcoming a lot of these obstacles, it's like critical thinking and science or you have the Promised Neverland where it's like it's a lot about emotion and again, critical thinking as opposed to punching things to death. But even if you look at the popular shonen titles, it's been going that way. Like, Dragon Ball has very little of that actual friendship stuff when you look at it. Yeah. And the fights, especially in the later half, are a lot about beam struggles and who has a higher power level. Yeah. And if you compare that to Naruto, Naruto, the character, is often very clever in yeah. how he ends his fights and figures things out. And I feel like My Hero Academia is a continuation of that more than it's like going back to those Dragon Ball roots. Yes. But then we have this really weird... We're living in a weird time because One Piece has existed for 20 years over that. Yeah. And like you can call this the One Piece era, but it's been so long that it feels like you have to break it up in distinct ones, right? Because like it's, there was definitely the One Piece Naruto Bleach era at a time. Yeah. But like we're definitely not in that anymore despite One Piece continuing to not only be coming out, but to continually be the number one most popular series. Yep. And I think some of that is we basically have to treat it like an outlier. Like, yeah, it was this huge powerhouse. And by now, it's not nostalgia that's the only thing driving it, but that's a huge driving force of it when it's like you have all these older readers of Shonen Jump who were like, oh, man, I grew, not grew up on this, but it's like, oh, I grew up reading One Piece. And so they talk about it with their friends or their kids who are now getting into it who are going to start reading it. So, oh, yeah, we can read the thing that I've been reading forever. So it just kind of got this huge force of he's still doing amazing, still loving One Piece. But it is very interesting, and I think we have to treat it like an outlier of it's not the One Piece era still. It's just One Piece still exists, kind of like off in the background of like, yeah, it's still super popular. 
Yeah, that's exactly the point I was trying to make. It's just very strange, right? Because if you take one piece out, what is this era? And, like, you're talking yeah. about the critical thinking stuff, and I definitely see that in Promise Neverland. But, like, Dr. Stone seems more like about weird MacGuffins to me in a lot of ways. Even oh. though that's, like, presented as thought. A lot. And he's still, like, Chainsaw Man seems like it's, like, very inspired by Bleach. Like I said, My Hero Academia is, like, a better version of Naruto, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. Yep. I, um, I think My Hero Academia has a ton of critical thinking in it because all their superpowers are quirks, so they have to think about the best ways to use it, as opposed to traditional superpowers where it's, like, even Deku's one for all where it's like he just it's literally basically just super strength yeah but he has to constantly think about how to use it it's not like i just punch the dude and i win yeah but like go back to like classic silver age superman and flash stories and they're also all about how do i apply my powers here in a critical thinking way yeah i just meant as opposed to some of that dragon ball dragon ball where it's like oh we're just doing techniques and it's whoever's stronger so i wasn't trying to say like classic superhero comics but just in a manga sense it's got that critical thinking of the fight, even if it's critical thinking just in terms of the fight or how to use my quirk. There's still a lot of very cerebral thought in the current Shonen Jump. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to talk about. And it's like a thing that's been on my mind a lot. Just as like one piece is such a juggernaut that you, you're right. You have to treat it like an outlier because like it's clearly a successor to Dragon Ball, but like even more so than Naruto and Bleach. But those were also clearly successors to Dragon Ball. Yeah. And we're now in an era where we have like kind of Dragon Ball's grandchildren and great grandchildren in yep. a lot of ways. Yeah. And One Piece isn't going to die until Odai decides he's done with it. Yeah. Oh, and another weird thing about One Piece is like because it's so popular, Odai can do whatever he wants. Basically. And so he drills super deep into detail, which is why every arc is kind of longer than the last. Yeah. Because that's what he likes to do. And like people reward him for it, which I don't think is a bad thing, even though I'm talking about, oh, this is like just an okay chapter of One Piece. Like, it still as a whole really holds up, and it's always one of the series I'm most excited to read. Yep. But, like, it's just in such a weird situation. Yeah. And even then, usually One Piece ends up near the top of our list for basically everything. Yeah, it is my default number one until something feels better than it. So. Yep. So anyway... We're going to talk about something that is old shonen manga that has kind of transcended and is no longer even shonen in genre, although it certainly was in volume one, which is all we read, which is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which we will talk about after the break. So we read JoJo's Bizarre Adventure this week, and I'm aware of JoJo's just through, like, internet culture, just, like, people mentioning stuff from it. Yep. You've, you're you a little more familiar with it, right, Kevin? Yeah, I've seen the first half of the first season. I have a, I randomly have a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure figure that I got out of a box, but I'm not super into JoJo's, and it's not like I didn't like JoJo's when I was watching it, I just... I had been like, oh, I kind of want to watch something, and I started watching JoJo's and then realized I actually didn't want to watch anything. It's not that I didn't want to watch JoJo's, it's that I didn't want to watch more anime. Like, I already had too much on my plate 
And I think at that point I decided I was going to get back into video games. I kind of tend to shift into all of my various hobbies on which one I'm going to focus on more at any given time. Yeah, and I took very few notes on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure because I just got really absorbed into it. And I don't know if that's the pace of the manga because the, there's a lot of fighting in this manga and the fight scenes are kind of dirty. There's Little a bit, lot yeah. of motion line. I don't think it's bad art at all. In fact, I find there's a ton of energy in it. Yeah. And it's not like that Blood Clover where I just can't tell what's going on. But what it looks like is this fight is brutal and it's kind of treated that way. And yep. the way that movies like The Born Identity and The Dark Knight just don't show you what's going on action wise. Yeah. I got a very similar feel to that. Although I liked it more than that because at least it's still static images. So you can still see kind of the blows. Yeah. And I came at this from. So since I had basically seen all of this in the anime. I just kept thinking back to that point, essentially, like this is all basically the entire volume, which was quite long, was basically like, I think the first, maybe the first two episodes and like not even the full second episode, like there's still stuff going on at the end of the volume that would probably happen. I think it's like midway. It's either this whole thing takes place in the first episode or it's like the first one and a half episodes. Yeah, it all feels like prelude, but not, I felt, in a bad way. It feels like a lot of backstory on these two super important characters, plus some um, backstory to even before then. Yeah. That's going to be important. And, like, it's really, I really like it as a unit of comics. The cliffhanger at the end is super good. Yeah. And I felt engaged the entire way through. I said similar things about Hunter Hunter, but while Hunter Hunter is, like, the most shonen thing I've ever read, in a lot of ways, JoJo's isn't. It's definitely shonen in genre. Yeah. But it doesn't have... Like, the fantasy stuff is clearly foreshadowed in here, and I imagine it's going to show up, like, chapter one of the next volume, just the way the cliffhanger works. And there is yeah. a little bit of fantasy stuff in here. Just a little bit. it's really light, and its influences seem to be, like, Super Jane Eyre and Dracula. And that's yes. not a tone I've ever seen, but I, I didn't know that I needed Jane Eyre as a novels as a shonen anime series, but it turns out I do. Yeah, so jumping back just a little bit, that's kind of... To my understanding, that's how JoJo's works. Each of the, they have arcs or like story. So this is Phantom Blood and there's 40 or 50 chapters in Phantom Blood and then it switches to a new thing. So what happens is the, they have these story arcs that focus on JoJo, who is always part of the Joe stars at this point, it's Jonathan Joe star, but he's always part of that family, but each Jojo is a different person. person. And in a different time period. Like, I know there's a Renaissance one. Yeah. So this one is 17th century London? No. 18th century London. Yeah. And that, like, that's what it's focusing on. And so it has that kind of Victorian Dracula, Jane Eyre feel to the story. And I think other eras have different feels to the way that their powers and just kind of like the base setting of the story works, which is one reason why I want to get more into JoJo's is kind of like to jump back and forth between these different stories. Cause it's like, maybe I, and it's not like I'm not enjoying this one, but maybe I'll like one of the other, one of the other settings a whole lot more than this one. And that will like really get me hooked into JoJo's as opposed to this one where I got halfway through and was like, I'm enjoying it. And it's not like I'm going to, you know, never watch it again. It was just, I haven't found the time to do it. So another thing that really struck me about this is it doesn't feel Japanese at all. 
No. Obviously it is, but the art style seems almost like what you'd see on a Hardy Boys novel. Yeah. A little more anime than that. Like, the eyes are definitely have an anime component to them. And we'll talk a little bit about the story, and there's one thing that I feel is very shown in anime to it. But even, like, when it's drawing inspiration from other people, the, like, major source of mysticism in this is this Aztec mask. And the series starts with this Aztec blood sacrifice that looks like something out of Conan or yep. a similar B-movie rather than anything you'd see in anime or manga. Yeah. And the character designs, like I said, there's a female character that the main character has a crush on that seems like she's just straight out of Jane Eyre. Yeah. Like in the entire. And also, this is not like a, this doesn't feel Japanese. This doesn't feel like typical stories. There's so much of a focus on the villain. Like the first prologue is the Aztec stuff, but then we see the villain's father dying and his like the way he enters Jojo's life. Yeah. And like that's all from his perspective. And so much of this early on is from his perspective. And we get a lot of his inner thought captions. And this guy is such a bastard. Yep. Like, he's up there with Frieza in terms of, like, he just has no remorse. He's all about himself. And, like, seeing his inner monologue just makes it, like, so much more clear what a monster he is. Yeah, and that's what I like about it. Because, again, the whole thing is about Jojo. I I believe it's usually jo a Jojo fighting a Dio, not the same dude. Yeah. But it's, like, Jojo fighting a main bad guy. And you get the thoughts of that main bad guy so that you feel that rivalry and why Jojo is stepping up to fight this dude. Like, this guy's just a total dick. He kills Jojo's dog because he's like, I need to make sure that he doesn't have any friends so I can break his spirit. But you even miss the part where, like, he's, like, he's the first thing he does when he meets Jojo is punt this dog across, like, I want to say the farm. It's not a farm. It's like a, you know, a London estate. Yeah. And then he, like, is like, no, I hate dogs. Like, they're so mangy. I hate the way they beg. And, like, Joe's father has to tell Dio the story about how, yeah, you know, he didn't really have any friends. So I got him this dog to, like, help him socialize. Yeah. And he's, like, saved him from drowning for Dio to even comprehend, like, you can be friends with a dog? Yeah. It's like, I have to take this away from him, too. And they say that, like, the best villains are ones you can kind of sympathize with. And Dio is such a monster that you almost can't. But, like, his goal does make sense because he's doing this all, like, he wants to make Jojo like a invalid, basically, so he will inherit the fortune. Yes. Because his dad, who was also an awful person, saved Jojo's father in a carriage wreck. Well, he was actually robbing the carriage, and Jojo's dad just happened to be alive and yeah. thought he was saving him. Yeah. So Jojo's like, dad was like, hey, I'll repay you. And so when Dio's dad dies, he writes a letter asking Jojo to, or Jojo's father, rather, to raise Dio as his own son. Yeah. Which he does. And he's just like, okay, I have to insert myself here and make sure I'm the one who inherits the fortune. And yeah. it's like, do that. I have to ruin JoJo's life. Yeah. And so while he is a monster, I at least do understand the... The greed motivation. The greed motivation and the fact that it was like my dad was an asshole who basically caused my mother to kill herself. And so I hate him and I'm going to become somebody important. And I'm going to become powerful so that nobody can step down on me. So I'm going to take this, the, I'm going to take the Joestar fortune, like, by any means necessary so that I become more powerful. And again, it's like, well, it's a villain and I hate the dude, but I at least somewhat understand where he's coming from. And just so much of this is devoted, this story, to him ruining Jojo's life in increasingly worse and worse ways. Yeah. Starting out with just things that, like, you know, is, I want to say, like, almost typical bully stuff. Yep. And like physical beating him to like getting to like I said that kind of freeze a level of this guy is just such an asshole. 
Yeah. When I when I said he kills his dog, he is a horrible scene for me. Um, yeah, me too. He wires the dog's mouth shut, puts it in a box, throws the box. They have like an incinerator for like leaves and stuff like that. Throws that in the incinerator, but then doesn't actually set it on fire so that the groundskeeper comes in and is like, huh, well, one of the maids must have tossed that in to get incinerated, turns the incinerator on. Then the dog breaks free finally because it's on fire. And Jojo comes home because all this happened while he wasn't home. And they're like, we buried the dog because the site was so bad. We didn't want you to see it. Yeah. Because it got burned alive. And then he he kissed the girl that Jojo was kind of falling in love with. And he was like, ha, I'm her first kiss. And now she'll never be able to think of Jojo again because I uh, not raped her, but had that kind of experience. And what I liked about that is it's not even really about, like, she won't be able to stand it, because, like, she, like, washes her mouth out with dirt and, like, kind of stands up to him, but it's just so awkward between JoJo and her after that, like, like can't continue with their relationship, yeah. which felt, like, very genuine to that sort of teenage first love experience. Yeah. Initially, when Dio was saying, like, hi, I've broken her forever, that's when she starts washing her mouth out with dirty water, and he turns on her, and we kind of see his temper. He's, he's got his father's temper. And because he was like, haha, I succeeded. Wait, I didn't succeed. Oh, no. And that's when he starts beating her. And we hear him. And it's going to be I'm assuming that's going to be the fatal flaw that causes him to lose is the fact that he's got a temper. And well, and like he's got other things from his father as well. We find out later that he keeps drinking and yep. like he hates himself for that because his father was a drunk. Yeah. Like he just can't go on without alcohol. Yeah. And so after, like, this, like, start, these chapters of him torturing Jojo as they grow up, it, like, ends with Jojo, like, standing up to them and them having a shonen fight. Yeah. Where some blood gets on this weird mask that Jojo's mother bought right before she died in the carriage accident. Yep. And they both kind of notice something weird is going on that with that when it gets blood on it. Yep. Before their father separates them. And then we fast forward to them graduating college. Yep. Where Dio kind of stopped being an asshole. Or he he started playing a... He played the longer game. Yeah. Because I think he realized, like, I can't actually break his spirit. Yeah. So he's like, I'll play the long game. And so they weren't... They were sort of friends. Like, he stopped being as, he stopped being a super dick. Yeah. They're on the rugby team together, and you can tell there's this, like, very strange relationship with them. Yeah. And, like, jo because JoJo's a good person, he's like, did I just imagine all that? Like, I, there was no proof that Dio threw my dog in the fire, and, like, I didn't see him kiss Erina. Yeah. Like, so, like, did I just assume the worst? Am I a terrible person? Well, and he also has kind of the, kind of the moment of, like, well, I mean, his dad did just die. Like, it was it just when I first met him, he was just kind of lashing out at everybody, and I took it to mean... Like, he just has this huge grudge against me, which he did, but he kind of, Jojo's a nice guy, which Speedwagon remarks on. That there's a character on. named Speedwagon, and this is also great, Yes, by the way. So it kind of culminates with Jojo's dad is dying of a slow illness, and they go to him, and he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about checking into the hospital. And he's like, oh, no, don't do that. They, they're in a terrible state. They would just take your money. He's like, ah, I feel better at home anyway. And, and Jojo's like, wait a minute. Yes. And then, like, he's like, am I just, like, assuming the worst of Dio? He finds the letter that Dio's dad wrote, and he describes the symptoms he has, and they're exactly the same yep. as Jojo's dad. And he's like, hey, Butler, who gives my dad the medicine every time? He's like, oh, Dio does it every time. Yeah, he's like, I'm having a hard time going up the stairs, so he's been helping out so that I don't have to go up and down the stairs as much. 
And JJ was like, huh, I'm going to take this to the college and get it examined. Yep. And again, Dio tries to fight him on it, but JoJo stands up for himself. Yeah, and at this point, JoJo is like twice the size of Dio. Yeah. And like when he was a kid, he was kind of this foppish brat who was this spoiled rich kid. Well, when Dio showed up, he stopped being spoiled as much, so he kind of he toughened himself. So like even during the rugby match, Dio is the person who ends up scoring the try. Yeah, but because JoJo has bowled over like six people. he It's not he has bowled over well, six people. Well, he's got the ball and he's running through them. He's... He, they're he's on him. They're try- yeah, he, they're trying to tackle him. He's got the ball, and so everyone is focused on him, and he throws it to Dio, who, because like everyone was focused on JoJo, was able to sneak through because he's faster. But JoJo is this like hulking, seven-foot-tall monster. He describes his legs as tree trunks when he threatens to kick somebody. Yeah. So JoJo takes the medicine, I'm putting air quotes, to the college, and Dio's like, oh no, I have to speed up my plans. The college won't be able to figure this out because it's Eastern poison. Because <laughs> we know it's poison. Yeah. Which, again, is not a very Japanese thing to do, although I kind of love that this Japanese person is, like, doing this. It's kind of like Batman Ninja, which is an animated movie by Japanese people about Batman, the greatest white person, coming back to lead some ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jojo is like, well... If the college can figure out, it's probably Eastern. So I need to go to London and find somebody specialized because he even he thinks it's poison. So he's like, I need to find somebody like basically an Eastern poisoner and maybe he can identify it. So he goes to Ogre Street. And when Dio hears this, he's like, oh, this might be great. Jojo will definitely die immediately on Ogre's. Oh, wait, what if he doesn't? And he finds the guy. Shit. Yeah. And so we see Dio like turns to alcohol because he's like, well, either Jojo's dead and I'm absolutely fine. I'm got to waste Scott free or he's not. And I'm screwed and I have no power over what happens yep and so jojo was also like studying to be an archaeologist and he's like got a bunch of notes on the weird aztec mask that yep. they saw and he was like you know, i also noticed it and i just like pretended i wasn't interested in it because i'm not gonna make a ton of money researching this mask yeah but like jojo's got all these notes on it and when you like put blood on it these bone spikes come out and like would kill anyone who was wearing it yeah so like i'll just make it look like he was researching it because he's already got all these notes and he yep. accidentally killed himself yep so that way, the crime will, none of these crimes will be traced back to me. Yeah. And so he tries it on someone who mugs him after he's drinking. Yeah. And it turns them into a vampire? Yes. Basically? N- literally. Well, he doesn't drink the blood. He, like, absorbs it out of his hands. Yeah. But he does get murdered by sunlight shortly after that. So pretty yeah. much a vampire. Uh, it's phantom blood. They're literally vampires. They just gotcha. act slightly differently. <laughs> well, you know, everyone's vampires are different. Yeah. So instead of biting with the fangs they inj- they stick their hand into the neck and start absorbing through their fingers yeah but it, they're vampires meanwhile jojo is fighting the thugs of ogre street yeah which is a very like jack kirby concept yes including this guy named speedwagon who has a blade hat yeah he's a uh, odd job yes he's he's british tall odd job but jojo impresses them so much by being a gentleman like he He's like got tree trunk legs and he can murder them all, but he's just like attacking them. too. Well, basically, he specifically them. impresses Speedwagon, who's kind of like the leader of the group of thugs, because he's like, wow, this guy could have murdered me just there. Could have like with how big he is, he could have literally murdered all of us. But he's not he's not even really trying that hard. And he's like, I'll I'll be willing to give up an arm if it means saving my father. And he's like, I actually feel that. So he's like, hey, everyone stand down. And he helps out Jojo, find the Easter Poisoner guy, and then follows him. 
because he's like, wow, this guy actually is a true gentleman. Yeah. So he's like, I got the poisoner. He admitted to selling to you, Dio. Like, I'm going to have to call the cops. It's terrible. Yep. And then like, Dio kind of does the, oh, no, I, I was meaning to turn myself in and I feel such remorse. And JoJo's like, oh, really? And then Speedwagon kind of like pops <laughs> off panel. He's like, that guy's a lying sack of shit. He's like, yeah, do not trust him. I followed you too because you're a naive idiot and I like you. And I'm your like, new street tough sidekick. Yeah, <laughs> that I'm... guy is an asshole and you need to not listen to him right yeah, now. <laughs> that, guy <is> <laughs> the, 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 that guy is literally the biggest asshole I've ever seen. And, and I, I live on like the streets with a bunch of assholes. Yep. Well, he's kind of got, he's like, I've got, you know, I can see the true soul of anybody. It's not really that, but he's like. Listen, I've been dealing with a lot of scumbags, and that guy's the biggest scumbag I've ever seen. But anyway, Dio's like, okay, I'll accept it, but like, Joe, Joe, you have to be the one to put the cuffs on. Yep. And he's like, never, psych, I, and he throws the mask on and tries to stab Jojo, but Jojo's father stabs him in the back? Yep. And that's pretty much where the volume ends. Yeah, so it's Jojo's father's blood lands on the mask, shooting the spikes into Dio. Yeah. As we, the reader know, turning him into a vampire. Yeah. So yeah, I'm super into it. It's Dracula and Jane Eyre as a shonen manga with some weird Aztec stuff and like this huge asshole. So like, I just really wanted to read more when I was done. It's like one of the most excited I've been to read some manga yep. for this it, podcast. It has really made me want to put more time in my schedule to watch JoJo's again. Because one of the things I like about the anime is the art style really comes through with color. Like they do a lot of cool stuff with color in this and some of the later seasons they're just they go crazy with their color palettes so it just makes me want to watch more i i think that's all we i have to say about jojo's personally i really enjoyed the read i think maybe even a little more than you uh i think mine was a lot colored by the fact that it just made me want to watch the anime as even as i was going through it it's like i kind of just want to watch the anime some more like i think it's because i hadn't finished the anime so I have this thing of like, yeah, 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 I, I know all this already. Get to the good part. Yeah, fair enough. But I, I just really enjoyed like what a scumbag Dio is. Oh, he's and, an asshole. And it makes you like really feel for Jojo. It makes you want him to succeed in a really strong way. Like I said, the character it most reminds me of is Frieza. Yeah. He's like an all-time classic for a reason. Yeah. But Dio is like so much more active than Frieza in a weird way. Like Frieza is definitely very malicious, but like he's just a punk who can beat you up because he's stronger yep. at the and end of the day. And Dio's like so methodical about it. Yeah. Well, and it's it's also that thing of like, well, I mean, he just tried to kill me. You tried to break me. And that's worse. Like, because it, it basically at any point, Dio probably could have, it felt like arranged JoJo's assassination. Like, instead, he was like, no, I'll break his spirit and make him unable to continue as a person as opposed to just murdering him. Like, it would almost be a mercy at this point or like if he succeeded for him to die. So he's he's that much more villainous that it's like, well, I mean, a lot of villains are just trying to kill the hero. But Dio is here to personally break this person. Yeah. He's not just like, I don't care about human life. It's like you. I'm going to screw over you. Yeah, He's like the devil. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's just a really fun read. But we're not going to rank him yet. I'm sure that'll happen eventually because I'm sure we're going to read more JoJo's. Yeah. But first, we have to rank somebody else on personality power level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? Personality power level is the segment where we rank manga characters from best to worst. At the very top, we have Uzumaki Naruto from Naruto. At the bottom, we have that guy who isn't Yamcha from that time I got reincarnated as Yamcha. 
And in the dead center, we have Asta from Black Clover. And I think Jonathan Joester is better than Asta. Yeah. Like, he's very shonen protagonist, despite this not feeling very shonen in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think some of that, just a little bit of that is the art style. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like a Japanese manga for the most part. But yeah, I definitely, I really like the sequence in Ogre Street where he's essentially like, I'll lose an arm if it means saving my dad. Like, and he, because uh, Speedwagon throws his hat at him and he literally just blocks it with his arm. It's like, ha, that went to the bone. And JoJo's just like, meh, I don't care. Yeah. I'm, he cares a little bit, but he's like, I I will give up my arm. I will give up. I, I'm not going to sacrifice myself to save my dad. That seems a little silly, but he's like, I'll give up an arm. Like, I am willing to sacrifice myself to save my dad, even though me dying here will not save him. So I'm not going to let you murder me. But that kind of idealism was really nice. Do we think he's better than Goku? Like, that's where I'm really struggling. Goku's always hard to compare people against. Because I feel like his highs are incredibly highs, but his averages are kind of low. Yeah. And I also am constantly colored by uh, parody Goku. <laughs> from Team Four Team, Star. From Team Four Star. Like, I love that character a ton, but it's like, wait, no, regular Goku doesn't actually ever do that. <laughs> I don't know. That's hard. It is. I'm going to say this JoJo is a no. Okay. For better than Goku. I'm trying to lean him that way, too. So, like, maybe when we read more volumes, we will reassess. But yep. if he's not as good as Goku, then I don't think he's as good as Gon. No, definitely not. So that, that actually would have been an even easier comparison for me. So how do we think he compares to Sakuragi Hanamachi from Slam Dunk? I'm tempted to put him higher. I'm not sure if that's just recency bias. No, that that sounds about right. I, I know a little bit about this JoJo, uh, Jonathan Joestar. I'm I'm going to wonder if they all have nicknames or like some community name for when I'm putting them on the list. How to Because oh. I think there might be more than one Jonathan Joestar because I know they're all Joestars and they're all Jojos, but I don't know exactly how different they are. So there's probably some way to because there's I think six of them at this point. There's there's got to be some way to differentiate them. So Jonathan Joestar will go at number 17 above Sakuraki Hanamachi and below Gone just above the halfway mark. All right, so now that we're done with that, Jeremy, what are we going to be reading next week? So we've been ri- reading a lot of shonen stuff, but mostly from, I don't want to say the modern era, but since we started watching manga, we haven't done anything old. And I want to go to something really old, even older than Dragon Ball, like old, old school shonen manga. So we're going to read Kamen Rider, all the original, the original, I can't remember the author's name, but it's all available on Comixology. Not really available physically, unfortunately, but I want to see how we feel about that, because I'm I don't want to say a huge Common Rider fan. I like Forze a lot, but that's kind of a weird, different Common Rider. And I really like the idea of Common Rider. I lot of I like a lot of stuff that's descended from Common Rider. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically know nothing about Common Rider. So I thought we should go with something old school like that. So that's what we'll be reading next week. In the meantime, you can find old episodes on LastPodcast.com as well as the Personality Power Level list. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, since iTunes doesn't exist a lot anymore. That'll help us a lot. Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emerit. Other music on the show is by Spectacular Sound Productions. And our album art is by Kate Wind on DeviantArt. Is there anything you'd like to plug this week, Kevin? Not this week. All right. We'll see you next week, guys. Have a good one.
stop.